Welcome to Mixed Company. Bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. Hey everybody, welcome back to Mixed Company. Yo, yo, yo. We are back for a whole entire other week. (laughs) Another episode, another bye week. We good. Simeon, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, making it do what it do. And Karina? Good. (laughs) Spill over my drink. Don't do that. Definitely don't spit your drink out. All right, well, we've got a lot to kind of cover today. Um, I guess I'll start off. Today's episode is going to be about intersectionality. Um, So I'm sure we are going to be all up in here like a therapy session which is going to be good. But, of course, as always, I'm going to start off with our comments. Um, so this week's comment comes from somebody we gave a shout-out to last week on um, Mixed Company, uh, Miss Kalani, at Miss at Kalani underscore J, um, gave us a shout-out on her uh, Instagram today. Um, and her favorite, and obviously her favorite person, which was our... Um, our guest from last episode for the amazing shout out Kalani for those of you that don't know um, she's a software engineer she's a teacher she's a presenter and a podcaster herself Um, right now she's out here really making a splash in Pittsburgh um, as she is leading the charge for women and women of color um, and people of color of course um, as coders like Kalani is really out here coding and building websites and advocating for people to get on board with it um and she's been doing this for quite a while now so shout out to her for our shout out we're definitely going to continue um showing all the love kalani let us know if there's any way we can help or just continue to let us know uh what you've got going on on your end so we can tell people about it on our end word what's how's that go tell your friends it's Tell your friends to get with my friends. We could be friends, whatever. Tell your friends to get. Yeah, Yeah, that's what they said. So let's do that. Let's keep. um, Let's keep lifting each other up. And I guess at this point, it's time for dope shit or ain't shit, depending on how you feel today. Uh, Who wants to get started? Uh, I go. I'll be really quick. Uh, My dope Mm -hmm. shit for this week is the podcast on Spotify called Mogul which is about the life and times of Chris Lighty, who was a hip-hop music exec. And it basically starts off um, telling a story with, through like a couple different people, like Red Alert, uh, Russell Simmons, um, the Jungle Brothers. And if you like hip-hop culture, it's a dope scripted uh, series. I, th- I don't even know how many episodes. Do you know how many episodes it is? Three so far. Uh, well, there's three out right now, and I think it comes out every week. Um, Thursdays. Thursdays. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Well, thanks. Uh, and it's dope. Yeah, so you should check it out because um, pretty much all these brands who are out here doing branded content. Um, but not necessarily branded content, but Spotify is out here doing original dope content, which is which I'm, I'm enjoying. So. And the fact that they were able to bring something so niche. So um, if you follow hip-hop, if you follow um, – music honestly chris lighty has been or or still is um even posthumously he has been one of the most influential people to help push hip-hop um 
not only mainstream, but helping to make it uh, as respectable as it is yeah. today, um, especially working on the violator management, um, I guess artist management, yeah. and I guess they, were they also a record label? Well, they dropped that album. The right, they had, I mean, because they were managing yeah. all those artists. So um, any of your, I would say, I, I dare say any of your favorite hits um, from the 90s on any record label, he had an artist or somebody yeah. on his team had something to do with it up until like the mid 2000s, honestly, up until his passing. So shout out to Spotify for recognizing him and shout out to the creators of Mogul, who I believe are associated with NPR. Um, for doing such uh, uh, an in-depth analysis of his life. Right. I've been binging, so it's been great. I need to listen. You do. You get with it. <laughs> okay, yes, sir. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, my dope shit is Chelsea on Netflix. Um, I only gotten back to Chelsea. I didn't like her on E, but I like her series on Netflix, and she did a really good episode on education. And she broke it. I liked the way that she broke it down. She did it from how the brain works to um, talking to people like her celebrity friends about education. Why are you yawning, Sim? <laughs> this is interesting. Because <laughs> I'm sleepy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was up at like three o'clock this morning. <laughs> and then she talks about teachers' point of views of, of um, why they're your teacher and why do they still continue to teach because education in the U.S. is a forgotten, becoming a forgotten thing, unfortunately. And, well, I'm not saying forgotten. I'll say unappreciated career. Since forever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's a good episode, and um, I like it. So Is, yeah. is this the weekly episodes or is this like yeah this is the weekly ep- yeah her weekly episodes and I, mm-hmm. I watched the last season too i mean it her style has changed ever since you know current events you know new new person in the in the white house new occupant in the white house so oh, i haven't watched it post trump yeah I'll check it out. i like it uh, yeah i think a lot of women um a lot of women led shows they are is that some women out here that are pissed off i was watching i guess Deborah Messing was on. Um, I was glad. Yeah, it was the Award. Glad Awards, and she just came for his neck. She came for Ivanka's neck. She came for everybody's neck that had anything to do with it. So they are out here mad. <laughs> I'm loving all this mad content. It's like a really she, good Mary J. Blige album on every she, channel. She had, she had tried to come for uh, Susan Sarandon's next year on the election, but she Susan, did. Since Susan Sarandon kind of hit it back real hard in her throat. Because Susan Sarandon is, like, petty. She is very petty. She's petty in general. All right, so my dope shit. That's good. None of us have ain't shit today. I'm sure there's a lot of ain't shit things in the world. Um, But we can continue talking about dope shit. So I am here to applaud Goya and their their agency, Dieste, for a recent spot that was noted on Ad Age the other day. Um, and essentially the article that I read was called Nacho spell the end in Goya's hilarious ad about preserving cultural roots, which I think is going to be a great, um, transition into our topic for today. So essentially the ad campaign, um, is about bring winning your children back, um, 
to their or preserving their cultural roots. Um, so it starts off with a little girl, as those of you that went to uh, anybody's public or private school in the United States of America, and they say, we want to have a cultural day, and little girl goes home and says, mommy, it's cultural day at school, and I got to bring a dish. And mom is like, yes, this is fantastic. What are we going to make? This is a Latin family. And of course, the first thing that comes out the child's mouth is nachos. Now, I laugh because the reality of the situation is, people, nachos are not the primary custom food for Latin people. It, it just isn't. Sure. So everybody that's out here in these streets celebrating Cinco de Mayo by eating nachos, that is not a real <laughs> thing, bruh. It's not a real thing. Don't let nobody tell you different. You're lying. We're just lying to ourselves. So the com the ad campaign continues forward and shows images of, you know, instead of watching football, instead of watching, you know, customary soccer, um, they're watching American – children are watching American football. Instead of um, – Instead of asking for uh, things for the quinceanera or the sweet 15, essentially, which is customarily celebrated in Latin culture, there's a young girl talking about, Mom, I actually want to have a sweet 16. And the thought, or I guess the strategic thought or the, the main point of view of the ad is to win them back, win back the young people that have forgotten where they come from, um, and they're winning them back through food. I'm an avid lover of Goya black beans. If you ever see me in these streets <laughs> and ever see me hungry and you offer me that, you will become my friend for life. Like for real, for real, for okay. real, with some Goya sasson on that. Um, you know, they're they're making dishes like arroz con pollo or they're out here just like doing, you know, they're, they're actually bringing culture to the table via food, which is actually a way that my family was able to preserve a lot of our culture uh, once they moved to the States as well. Um, and I thought that that was an authentic way to discuss um, intersectionality of cultures. I think it was an authentic way to discuss um, how intersectionality between generations, like mm -hmm. just the way, like the humor of of the humor of the ad campaign, the the tone that it took, the idea that honestly it does it does take you know, the elder generation of your family, your parents and your grandparents, to be able to pass down tradition to you. I was here for it. I loved it. And after weeks and weeks of watching all these companies just get it wrong on a cultural uh, platform, it was nice to see Goya and Diez they get it right. That's what's up. It was what's, right. What's the name of the agency? Diez de, D-I-E-S-T-E. Now, I may have said that wrong. It's probably like Dice D or some shit like that. <laughs> But I think I I'm gonna go out on a limb. Agency. Yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb and believe that they are a um, Hispanic forward or Latin forward agency, and it's DSA. So, if I'm wrong, we can get corrected later. I mean, that's. And then I went and I made some empanadas, and I was so proud of myself. And I made arroz con pollo last night for all the homies, and folks are asking for like seconds. So you don't live in the neighborhood. Don't look like that. You live all the way in the Bronx. <laughs> there was no way it was gonna make. It to the Bronx. But I do. I mean, my bad, homie. <laughs> <laughs> it had chicken in it. I said I was complete. You don't even eat chicken. What are you talking about? I don't eat chicken. Fuck out here getting mad and they can't, like, stop. Anyway, that was really good. So I was excited uh, to watch that. Um, so I guess we can get started on today's topic. Mm -hmm. So 
like I said, we're going to talk about intersectionality, um, which is the interconnected nature of social characterizations such as race, class, and gender um, as they apply to a given individual or group. Regard it, reg- sorry, <laughs> period, <laughs> space, take a, be- a breath. <laughs> Regarded as creating overlapping and independent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. So, um, through an awareness of inter- intersectionality, essentially, we can better acknowledge and ground our differences among us. So, as we've uh, as we have used this podcast as a platform to talk to speak rather about diversity um, in race, diversity between races and genders, and other characteristics that separate us um, as people. There's a piece of this where I don't think we speak enough about how all of that is connected even for individuals. Like human beings in general are as complex as they get and you're never just a man or just a woman. You're never just black, you're never just white. There are other things that connect, that give us the opportunity to connect with each other um, so that we can essentially find some sort of common ground or find a way to not only identify better with our peers, but identify better within ourselves. Um, so with that being the case, like, I think the first question we have here is, is it too early to talk about intersection in the DNI space? I mean, I don't think it's too early. It's probably, <clears throat> it's, it's definitely not too early. I think it's, it's critical because if we're, looking at the missteps that have more probably more specifically the Shea Moisture, right? Because in the grand scheme of things, I think we all acknowledge that they weren't necessarily wrong with what they did. It was their approach and the nuances to it. I think when it comes to intersectionality, it's really about the nuances. It's that you can have black women in your ads, but you can also have black women who are lat Latina in your ads as well and acknowledge that because <clears throat> that is a nuance when you talk about uh, representation when black women say they want to see themselves it's not just black women who identifies African American it's also black women who are Latino it's black women who are from the Caribbean black women who are from um, African countries black women who are from the UK like it's all these things that um that make each of these black women, like you were saying, kind of like that makes them unique. These other traits that um, they're interested. I don't even know like how you bring, but it's the, it's those those traits that are their intersectionality uh, points that need to be acknowledged as well. I feel like this industry has a struggle to grasp what true diversity and inclusion is. I mean, I think it's. I don't know. I think it's it's complex. I think that some people are going to some people are ready to talk about that and ready to understand the nuances and some people are can't even get past step 1 of understanding diversity. So it like really depends how how well versed you are to talk about the subject. Well, I I think they understand diversity in on a surface level. And they understand that diversity means that there's more than just white, cis, gendered men at the table. Like, right now, that is the definition of diversity that, that they're all abiding by. So it's, 
and I think we've talked about this before, like when you don't, when you're not specific about what diversity is or what the, the problem is that you're trying to solve, then you'll just kind of keep spinning your wheels and you'll end up with a room full of white men and white women and say, well, it's diverse because we have women at the table, as opposed to we have black women at the table, we have black women who are gay at the table, we have black women who are Latina at the table, we have black women who are whatever it is at the table. Right now when we talk about diversity, it's really surface level. So, but they do need to acknowledge that you, all black ain't just black. Like that's just not how it works because the boat stopped everywhere. Right, I think, uh, man, I think intersectionality has like a double-edged sword to it all because I do think that intersectionality is a reason why some people feel um, empowered to speak on behalf of certain groups that they may have never come into contact with. I also think that the idea of intersectionality is why we have a general market because at the end of the day, like a lot of people will say and will piss us off, um, well, we're all human. In theory, that is an intersect, like that is an intersection that we have. Or when we have, um, Simeon, you've talked about working on multiple projects that are specified to be for um, women of color or specifically for black women in which you have been um, in the past put as like a lead on it um and you've been the only person of color working on the team and i'm sure the idea is well well he's black so he's got to get it and that technically is an intersection i think so so is inter- is it too early to talk about intersectionality no i do think now that we are having the conversation that perhaps that may be an area that we can pay more close attention right. to because to your point and to everyone's point, because we make it often, yes, we do have a lot of similarities based on our traits. However, it's acknowledging the, it's acknowledging how important the different, the nuances of the differences mm-hmm. are, where we get caught up. So where we, if we speak about feminism, uh, at least the way they teach it in college, yes, we are all women, and we have all dealt with certain elements of sexism and misogyny that have gotten or that that have helped to get us to a state of feel a state of oppression feel that we're in a state of oppression however the idea where you know the idea where black women the black women experience in the United States of America versus the white woman experience in the United States of America is very different and is very tied to those um those sections that don't cross, if you will, uh, because of race and culture and class in America, and that is why we have opposing views. Like, I think that's the kind of thinking that allow people to kind of get a general understanding. In fact, I even think that it's that type of thinking that allows a lot of people, and I won't call them allies because I get I cringe when I hear the word ally, but <laughs> the people that get it, the people that get it, regardless of whether they consider themselves woke allies, whatever the hell they want to call it, the people that get it understand that intersectionality piece, understand that we are the same, yet we are different, and here is a route that we can take to move forward to be able to clearly articulate our points to make change, whether it be within the industry or whether it be within society. I mean, I think those people who get it, they're they're making it a priority to get it. And so, like, 
saying, and I think to to answer the question, it's like, it's it's not too early if you're making it a priority because you have to make it a priority to get it. Because even me, as as I'm like intersect, and we were talking about this before we started, where intersectionality isn't this old term that we all grew up hearing. It's it's relatively new. So even for me, like we were talking, like I just mentioned me working on uh, projects that involve not just women of color, but black women and me having to be in the room and saying, well, if we, if we are targeting black women, like let's go look for some black women who are Latina. Let's go look for some black women who aren't just identifying as African-American because if what we're trying to do is with advertising is have people see themselves and the creative that we're putting out there into the world. And so if you are putting out the Afro Latino who isn't always like even to this right now, like if a black woman opened her mouth in front of some people and started speaking Spanish, people would probably be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, they were like well, what, do you, what, what, what are you what's, doing? What's happening? Right. <laughs> so to, to acknowledge that and put something like that into creative, you're creating that representation that people are thirsting for. It's, it's acknowledging. But for me to sit here and be like, well, yeah, I just kind of thought about that on my own. I didn't. Like, Kai's Afro-Latina, so I knew that if I do something like that, people who identify the same way that she identifies, they will get hype if it's done right. Right. You broke it down nicely because, like, I think when I think that intersectionality is needed is when I meet someone who is not like me, meaning probably some white man, can who like talks to me like like I speak Ebonics as a fluent language and just wants to talk to me about rap. And and you do. I live do. in the Bronx. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I find that very rude. Like it's like, okay, not all black people talk like this, not all black women talk like this. Just because I'm black doesn't automatically make me like rap my favorite music like right. i don't and I, I and it's happened before i w- entered in the working place and and i think to to that point where i say like people need to make things a priority right like to me em- empathy becomes a priority because if for a white man to approach you and immediately start speaking Yo, ebonics say, hey, then he depri- hey, like he like your intersectionality isn't a priority for him. Mm-hmm. So the priority would be to understand who he's talking to. Where are you from? Where are your mama from? Where are your daddy from? Where you, like understand your background before jumping to assumptions. And so like, I might like Vivaldi. You didn't ask that. Right, because like if if it's if it's not a priority, like why why should I care? Like right. why why sh- why should I? go out of my way to acknowledge your otherness mm-hmm. your what makes you unique like and that's i mean i i think a lot of these conversations that we have here boil down to empathy and if people don't have it and they don't understand the difference between empathy and sympathy and they don't make hum, humanity a priority then people will walk up to you and start speaking in 
ebonics and act like well it's cool. i think i think that is the purpose so this so the next question is how do we bring in bring in an awareness of intersectionality into the media and advertising industry and honestly i think the conversation about intersectionality is what will give people the platform to have empathy to your point as opposed to sympathy i've said before and i feel very strongly about it you cannot empathize with something you know nothing about right you can tell me till kingdom come that people are out here seeing aliens and shit like that and i'ma just be like yo they crazy like people literally are out here going to therapy because they think they think that they've seen ufos and i'm like i bruh stop et like <laughs> chill you know but if you're able to give somebody the opportunity if, if somebody's able to level with you and say well, okay you may not necessarily understand x but I know you understand why, and this is where we connect. And here, in that cross-section, if this is a Venn diagram, here, where we overlap, that's where the feeling is. And all you, I truly believe that all you need is that little bit of empathy. I'll give you guys a story. So I went home this weekend um, to Chester County, Pennsylvania. Yes. <laughs> outside of Philadelphia, about, depending on where you are, 30 to 45 minutes outside of Philly, depending on where you are. Um, I was kicking it with my brother, and my brother has been uh, pseudo-adopted by a white family. Like, this family loves him. I've never met these people. He met them about six, seven years ago. I've been out here in New York this long, so since, or, or longer than that. So he's got this white family. He calls the mom, mom, calls the dad, dad, and I'm out here like, bruh. <laughs> listen i'm not gonna say nothing because you know i got i have we we together have an intersection of play cousins and play family members however he's got a whole other play mom and play dad <laughs> that are white so he took me over the house because they breed puppies and my brother and i both adore dogs which is why i ask my friends every day if they would still be my friend if i get pets and they all say no so i haven't gotten one yet anyway he takes me over the house to introduce me to them so we can go play with the newest litter of puppies that they've uh breeded and i'm watching him interact with his white mom and it is at first i was uncomfortable because i was like we have a mother <laughs> but watching them interact and and, and I, what i felt was how authentically it felt like she cared for him and how authentically she wanted to meet me and how her concern was while you're out here now granted my mom does take care of my brother don't get it twisted but everybody don't know that <laughs> i had to tell folks some business so they didn't think like we were abandoned or something but she she authentically cared about him as a person as a human for who he was so after we left there and i felt all like warm and fuzzy inside for him because i'm like man i'm so glad these people are out here looking after you since i can't be out here i had to ask him a real question so um what <laughs> my question was real though my question was how do these people feel about black lives matter right because i've discussed on this on this show before how my brother has had multiple run-ins with authorities and my brother has uh on many occasion been um profiled because he's a black man and my brother was kicked out of school because he was a black man and my brother went to jail and ha and was beat by police because he's a black man and so in my head the idea of you know these all lives matter folk i'm like can all lives matter folk really care about somebody 
that is clearly Black Lives Matter because he has dealt with a lot of the things we've dealt with. And his response, not any shock to me, was, no, they're definitely all white, all, all lives matter people. However, what we have been doing is having the conversation. So am I happy about their viewpoints? No. Am I happy that he feels comfortable having the conversation about his experiences enough with them that they have empathy? So I'm not going to put all his business out there, but, I mean, he, he has some situations going on right now where he's saying they have been very helpful with his current situation, um, knowing that it deals a lot with that idea of, of him appearing to be threatening because he's a black male. So I think that, to me, is important. I think intersectionality gives you an opportunity to show where where the connection does lie it gives an opportunity to be empathetic for somebody that you normally wouldn't care about or you normally would talk shit about if you saw something on the news and you didn't know them um i think to me to Simeon, your point like no every black person is not just african american or does not only identify as african american and that's a huge conversation to have and that is why we have uh latinos that don't identify as black and latinos that identify as afro-latino because they feel they identify as black like myself i think it's also important to recognize that we don't have to only focus on our differences our differences make people feel bad but let's also look at the bright side as well. Let's look at where we let's look at where we connect our dots together. I mean, the the differences is, I mean, now that a lot of us are getting older, the differences are what make us cool, right? So, like, if you were growing up in the '90s, early '90s, and you were black, and your parents were African. You were not cool. <laughs> like I'm just like like just talking for a friend. <laughs> no, I'm talking about myself. My dad Nigerian, uh, <laughs> but like I had it out. My mother's Jamaican, so everybody knows Bob Marley. So you could just I could just easily just be like, don't acknowledge it. But now that we're all older, and we can see the the common traits between Jamaica, Nigeria, Panama. Brazil and we all have like these similar things that that we all grew up experiencing but at the same time there are these differences like that's what makes us cool and when you're talking about DNI that's what makes you valuable because you are unique and you're authentic like and no one can take that away from you so the fact that you are Afro-Latina or you're first generation American or you are an, a newly immigrated immigrant to the states from wherever you come from, that's why you're unique and that's actually your selling point because mm-hmm. you can run around here and find a bunch of African Americans. And even then, like, they still have their uniqueness, but you can run around here and find a bunch of African Americans. But you can't run around here and just be like, yo, there's a bunch of Nigerians that work in advertising. There are a bunch of Somalians that work in advertising. So having those unique points, like those are the unique things that you bring to the table. Those are the things that make you valuable. And when you bring your whole self to the table, then you're able to contribute something that, that gives your agency the cutting edge. So if we're talking about the selling point and, and the, the 
the reason to make intersectionality a priority, you do it because it's, it, it makes you valuable. Like it, it, it gives you a perspective. It gives you a diverse opinion that you otherwise wouldn't get if you're just focusing on looking for black people. Yeah, I agree. I think there's the intersectionality of people understanding your viewpoint, but it's also like understanding and kind of the self-acceptance that you are different and that you have these viewing points. Because when I grew up, I mean, I, I guess you can say that I'm Afro-Latino because my father's are Central you? American. Yeah. Oh. See, this um, here's I the story. Mom, I just knew your mom was Jamaican. Exactly. And for me, like, Unlike Kai, my family, my the way that I grew up is I grew up with more Jamaican people. I had a more Caribbean Jamaican experience than my Latino Central American side. So although I have these intersectionalities, I do have a different viewpoint because of the way that I grew up. Yeah, I think all of I think I think all of that is fair I think what we don't discuss what people don't recognize as the value in intersectionality um so I went to have like an informational session with um a group of or not even a group of with a multicultural media agency based out of Brooklyn and one of the things that they talked about was how sometimes brands and agencies feel like they're just checking off checking off boxes right mm -hmm. when they're trying to speak to people however within any culture but only from my experience within african diaspora cultures the way afro latinos carry themselves is very different than the way solely afro caribbeans carry themselves and there's an intersectionality in that mm -hmm. between afro latinos that are are not sourced that sounds like slavery but that are closer to the caribbean <laughs> are that are that live closer to the caribbean side of of their respective countries there's an intersectionality in that the way um people that are from africa like the continent of africa directly like first second generation african if you will identify with afro-caribbeans that identify with afro-latinos um is very different and the way they all interact and identify with African-Americans are people that I would say can trace their roots directly. Sorry, can't trace their roots. But people whose roots largely start here or can be found here in the United States due to, uh, due to slavery. Like, it's very different. And, like, I noticed that growing up because when we used to – when my parents used to bring my brother and I here for the weekends – being in New York City or being in Brooklyn back in the 90s is very different than being in Brooklyn now, <laughs> right? And being in Brooklyn in the 90s was heavy. Like, to me, that's where I was able to see people that I felt were like me. That's where I could come get beef patties. I couldn't get no real beef patties, no, no real beef patties in Pennsylvania. Like, you can go to a corner store, even, like, in the suburbs, but in the city, and they might have some frozen ones, and they'll warm them up. But it's not like somebody was actually... Like, was that Eve's patty? I don't know what it was. You know how, like, sometimes in the deli, they'll have, like, beef patties there that look frozen and sad, and, like, nobody loves them? Like, but, like, it's different than being able to go to a beef patty shop 
because you're in a largely Caribbean neighborhood. It's different than going to the Bronx and getting a pastelio from um, from the little empanada truck from a man or a woman that just fried her own their, their own empanadas. It's 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 different than being able to go get jollof at you know at an African restaurant because back home it's just you're just African American or as they would say we're just black. So we just out here chicken fingers and french fries. And it's like, well, there's deeper culture to that. And when you're able to get to the source of people's <laughs> culture, I laugh and I kid, but I also serious for this one. When you're able to get to the core of people's culture and the soft spot, the spot that, that brings a nostalgia to them, you're going to be able to control how they spend their money uh, more directly and I think that's what we miss when we talk about general market. I I heart Goya forever, but I heart Goya more so now because it's like, damn, that commercial is exactly what Goya was like for me growing up. Black kid in the United States with Afro-Latino parents. I didn't grow up speaking no lick of Spanish, but I tell you what, though. We out here making this arroz con pollo. Don't bring me no beans that don't say Goya. Because for me, that like that was the culture that they were able to bring from back home to our table and kind of teach us about our family as we're here. I mean, that's 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 legit. And, and I think what you're what you're hitting on is like that soft spot. Whether it's intersectionality of of you know um, <sighs> nationalities or it's gender i know for a fact if i see like some nigerians now in a commercial i would get hyped like i was watching a nigerian movie yesterday and i was hype as hell in my house because it was like yo these dudes are basically like they're getting punished the way that we got punished when we were when we were kids and like that's the soft spot that's what makes you go and and want to support somebody like i finished watching the movie and i went to go look for the directors and all the actors that were in the movies because I was like, yo, I related to that. They hit the soft spot. And that's what's missing from a lot of our advertising because it's very surface level. It's very, there's no empathy in it. It's just, they want diversity. They want to see black people. We're going to give them black people. And completely ignoring the fact that a good percentage of the black people that are here can trace their roots back to somewhere else besides slavery. I think when you hit a nerve, it's the impetus of great work. And we're constantly looking at great work. I, I remember going to an event and this guy was like, I'm about to talk to this hire. I'm about to have this meeting with him. And one of the questions our, from our prior conversations was how do you measure great work and it's like great work is when you can resonate with someone when you can hit that nerve that's when you've created great work and when you look at successful campaigns in the past you wonder okay so why was it successful because it hit a nerve it, it created a connection and if you want to consistently do that you have to really consistently research and understand people for who they are not just as a market or a target or whatever you have to put some legwork if you want good work if you just want to do work and you just want to sit here and grab your paycheck that's fine you can do surface level but if you want to create truly outstanding work 
you have to do the legwork. You have to see people as people and you have to understand their intricacies. And the more you understand that, the more there's more room for your creativity to create something great. I mean, but shit, and, and back to my original point, like that's that's all legit. Like you have to, you have to make that stuff a priority. Like you have to make it a priority to say, well, yes, we want to better our diversity and inclusion at this agency, but we want to do it in a way that that's authentic. And to do it in a way that's authentic, like you have to, you have to do the work. Like you have to talk to people. You have to ask them questions that go beyond just, I mean, you can tell somebody's black. Like you can easily look at Kai, look at you, look at myself, they black. Right. It, but what it, you can't see, but but on some real shit, what you can't see is my culture. Right. Yeah. What you can't see is who I am, which when we have these conversations about gender and color, I think that is what that's what frustrates people the most, because it's like, but that's not who right. I am. That's a part of who I am. That's a piece of what I am. But mm-hmm. that is not who I am uh, at my core. Right. And, and back to, like, and obviously, like, Shea Moisture is still top of mind, but, like, for the white people who worked on it, what they saw was, you know, in that hero spot, what they saw was a black woman. And they, they completely ignored or they, they, didn't, they didn't have enough empathy to go and dig deeper into why Shea Moisture is important for these these other kinds of black women mm-hmm. black women with kinkier hair black women who are darker skin why their brand was important for them because what they saw was a black woman and they felt like cool like we we did out we did our job right. it was it was right again they, checking boxes right. without actually understanding like forget the nuances without understanding the person or the people right. that would be i could possibly identify with this um I'm going to go to the next question. So does market research uncover intersectional insights? I say fuck yes if you do it right. I mean, I think I think the market research will... It will definitely bring you closer to recognizing that their inter- intersectionality is a thing, right? It will, it will help you recognize that. But when you start actually going in and producing the work I don't think that there's anything that market research can do for you that that will compare to what someone who actually experienced that culture can do for you right but I feel like that is market research I feel like when you when you're only looking at the market from a surface level you're only going to pull surface level insights I if you look at market research from, I actually want to explore the market of an Afro-Caribbean person. That's going to bring more insights that you wouldn't necessarily just get by checking off the box black. So to me, I'm saying it's it's more than an eight-hour job if we're, if we're looking at this based on like allocations. It's more than an eight-hour job. This is, okay, well, what are the different kinds of groups Okay, or even better yet, we want to go to Miami. Let's not even talk about New York. We want to go to Miami and we want to market, I don't know, let's say pencils, right, to school kids. Okay, 
and we want it to be to we're not even gonna say urban we're gonna say black children we want black children right there are so many different like we just talked about them like there are there are specific neighborhoods in which we discuss like Little Havana. You discuss Little Haiti. You go to mainstream African American neighborhoods that are either affluent or really poor. Like if you take the time to actually understand the landscape and the geography and understand the people that step foot within that landscape, you can drill down and do the same kind of market research that you do from surface level from from um at a at a what word what's the word I'm looking for at a more niche level it's i mean it's why we have these quote unquote multicultural agencies that specify in um in uh marketing to latino people it's why we have agencies that specify in marketing to uh black people it's why we we went to that event the other week or was it last week or whatever mm-hmm. where they spoke about having you know certain agencies are actually coming to them asking for marketing that's specific to lgbtq people you see what i'm saying but it does take time and time costs money so that's allocations that you need to set to the side to say i actually want to i actually want to spend i want to invest in learning more about these people so i can speak to them better I think after going through um, focus groups and the brand, the what the product that I work on, that we do a lot of focus groups, and I will say that it requires people to speak up, meaning, well, a lot of market research can be skewed, and because we, you start from the surface level, but it changes as the group is more vocal and they articulate the differences of how they react to a product or piece or medium, whether it be commercial, print, whatever. So I would say like, it's not gonna only happen like with the, with the researchers, it happens with the actual group. So when, when we're, it's, it's a two or one piece, like it, it, it's, the, it's us speaking up when we're in the room as, as, as people who work in the industry to, to ask the questions so they can be researched on. And it also requires the groups that we take to research to, to know that they'll articulate the differences because market research can be really good or it can just be a waste of time. How can it be a waste of time? So for instance, Let's say um, I'm getting a group of people, let's say I'm doing Shea Moisture, right? And I wanna market to everybody. But the people that I, if I miss the insight, if I know that, okay, Shea Moisture, our demographic is women. Mm-hmm. But I don't do a deeper analysis that it's specifically to black women. I can get a group of people who, who are women, but they don't necessarily meet the target. Got it. Or if you're gonna rebrand something, let's say I'm rebranding Coke, but my demo reads that, I don't know, um, I, our, demo, our, our demo who buys Coke is like, 50, is like maybe 40, 30, 40 people. But the people who use Coke 
are not use coke who drink coke are te- are like teens and stuff so why why are the buyers older mainly because their parents that are mm-hmm. buying this stuff for them so like although we we're not looking we're not looking at research from a human level and that's what can really damage us so that's how i'm like when you talk about intersectionality you talk about all these nuances you look at the numbers but to gain that insight you have to look at it from a human level okay i think and i think that's fair i I do think that's a, a fair point um how do we influence others to acknowledge and or understand our own intersectional POVs? And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Like, we just have to talk about it. Um, and this part is hard because we don't want to, you know, like, it's teetering the line between, oh, we're kumbaya and we're all the same. Because I never want to, there are a whole bunch of people out there like, oh, we're all human, ma, ma, ma. And I never want to, <laughs> I never want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. No, I don't believe we're all the same at all. But I do think that there is a celebration of our differences when we are able to talk about intersectionality. Because once you realize how similar we are and that you never knew that, that the, those things that you thought made me different should now not just make me different, but make me special. Because if we're all the same, it's not, we're not special. You know what I'm saying? I think it might be a fluffier way to talk. And maybe intersectionality is a fluffier way, but I think it's a way of discussing differences and specifically diversity and what inclusion should look like without the anger and the guilt. I think discussing be yeah, because I don't I don't need people to feel guilty. I don't need you to feel guilty. I want you to feel like you want to make a change and like you understand. I, I don't even think it's a matter of feeling guilty. I think But I think people what I'm saying is people do feel guilty and I think by discussing intersectionality I'm not even trying to, like, that's not the conversation I'm trying to have. By discussing intersectionality, I want you to understand the elements of this Venn diagram that is humanity. Right. I mean, and if they feel guilty, and this may sound harsh, but that's your your problem. Like, you know, because the the reality of of the situation, especially in the workplace, by me talking about intersectionality, whether I'm actually saying, well, this is intersectionality or not, the reason why I'm telling you telling you this is to empower you. I'm not telling you this to make you feel guilty. We're not having, I don't have personal conversations like that at work because for what, <laughs> right? So the, the reason why I'm telling you this, like we're having a conversation about this and, and, all, these cross, and all these cross points or whatever. Like the reason why I'm telling you this is because I want you to feel empowered. I want everyone at this table to look at what we're talking about through a different lens than when you sat down at this table. So if someone feels guilty, like that's that's. But that's not. That's not. I I, I understand. I understand. I guess that's not what I'm saying. Like yes, you're right. That's not your problem. But I do think the conversation about diversity and inclusion, the way we have it, it evokes guilt. Like it's it's not your problem, but that's what it does. People feel real guilty when they're like, oh, damn, did I, have I ever touched a brown person's hair? Or, oh, man, as a man, have I ever not held the door the right way for the woman or helped the woman on the team? And it's like, I'm, I really do feel like it is important. I do feel like that's not productive in the conversation. So if we want to have a conversation, 
yeah, guilt is not helpful in the conversation. Guilt well, has not done anything for us. Guilt has not made anyone pass any laws or made anyone hire anyone or, excuse me, retain people. Guilt has gotten people hired. It hasn't gotten people retained. So if, I feel like if we want to have a, if we do want to have a more um, productive conversation about the importance of inclusion and, inclusion and the importance of diversity, then perhaps, given the conversation we're having now, intersectionality and understanding how we differ and how we're the same and where these differences can help lead us in a stronger direction for creative and campaigns that we build to me that feels more productive i get it i mean i i just think that and we've acknowledged this before i negative affirmations they motivate me like it's just it is what it is because if if you're if you're telling me that i made you feel less than or what i did hurt you then me as a human acknowledging your humanity go well damn i do feel guilty i'm not going to do that anymore because <laughs> that's 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 how that's that's how humans should operate i made you feel guys rolling eyes I made I'm you not, feel. No, I'm not rolling my eyes. I'm laughing because I recognize that there are people like that. But I also recognize there are people like me that's like, damn, I'm not always motivated by negative, by negative, uh, by negativity. Like, that's why I got so many beatings growing up my damn self. Because sometimes I just didn't give a fuck, quite honestly. Like, I just don't care how you feel. But. I do want to understand the logic, and I think that intersectionality could be a conversation about more about logic than it is about emotion. That's fair. I I, I think I think they both go hand in hand, and I think I that agree. I think part of the and this is I may be wrong, but I think part of what has held the conversation back is respectability politics people keeping their emotions out of the conversation and just making it about logic. When you're talking about a human element, part of part of this diversity conversation and and in a way it should make people feel guilty because knowing that your coworkers cannot bring their whole selves to work, knowing that that is mental stress, right? right. And for some people it's easier to deal with and you know it's whatever fuck this it's just a job i don't give a fuck i'm gonna go home do whatever for other people it's it's a mental burden it's yeah. something that they come into work with and they just can't flip a switch like that's the reason why they're sitting in the corner feel not feeling empowered that's the reason why they're not speaking up in the meeting that's the reason why they're not advancing the way that they should be advancing and so keeping keeping emotion out of it I think hinders the conversation because you want people to understand that you're a, a human. Like logic is for some robotic shit. You want people to understand that you know what? You said some fucked up shit. You did some fucked up shit. And while I'm angry, I can be angry and still talk to you and explain logic. So to keep the emotion out of it, I don't think there's there's a time and a place for it. So it's it's right. it's knowing right. when to pop off yep. and when not to pop off. And when to just be like, hey, we need to have a conversation later and talk about it outside of 
the office or whatever the case may be. So like, there's a time and a place for it, but I do think that emotion has a place in it at the same time as logic. Like you, you need you need both of them because if you're just coming at it from a strictly emotional level, then it's it's the angry black woman. And I agree with that. And I think that what you said was really important that there's a time and a place for it. I, I do feel strongly that the intersectionality is another piece to the conversation that we don't have enough that could help to complete the circle right. of what we're trying to accomplish. Because it's, it's the logic. Right. And so I, I think that's for, for a lot of people and this, and like I was saying earlier, like this is somewhat of a, of a new term. And so a lot of what we're seeing, especially when it comes to the feminist conversation. So you like the women's March, there are a lot of black women who are like, y'all go have fun. <laughs> Wear out your Air Maxes. I'm going to brunch. And white women are like, I, I don't understand. Why, like, why why aren't you here? We're, we're all one. But <laughs> at the same time, like, these black women are like, but where were you when X, Y, and Z? Where were you? And that's because of intersectionality. Like, you didn't step up when I needed you to step up because not only am I a woman, I'm a, and Kai, feel free to jump in at any time, but like not only am I a woman, but I'm a black woman. And so these are the other issues that affect me that you didn't care about. I think it's, it's shared experience. There's a way, there are times that you're gonna make people feel guilty because they aren't, they ain't shit and they fucked up and you have to check people. Mm. But there are times where there are conversations to have a shared experience from wherever you're from. So there's that. I don't think it's 100% you're going to feel guilty and that's it, that may it may want you to change after feeling bad or feeling guilty or whatever. But there's also moments of that shared experience where someone does learn. I think that happens. I've seen it happen. I mean, I mean the goal the goal is to learn, right? And I, and I think that's to to bring logic back into it is to and that's why I say there's 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 a way to go about it. Yes, you want to be you want to bring your emotions into it because you're a human. You don't want to have to shut down and shut off your emotions to make people feel comfortable all the time because that is stressful. But to bring logic back into it, to explain something to someone, to explain intersectionality to someone, and to say, I want you to learn. I want you to do better. Now, if you don't do better, then you deserve everything that you get. You deserve all the curses out that, that you get. But to bring logic into it, to act, because that's explaining something to somebody. And part of another part of this conversation is when you will hear people say, well, I ain't got to teach you shit. I'm not going to teach you. I want to go back to something. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to cut you off because I feel like even the point that you made about the Women's March, the reason why a lot of women I'm not even going to say it's a lot but I feel like it could have been a lot the reason why there were some women of color that felt like this wasn't their fight was because they didn't look at the intersectionality of it let's look like have you looked at who the chairs of this event were no like I said, that's it was, a pro- it, but it, that's it, what I'm saying that's a problem because Jane Ingram is one of is one of the chairs. Angela Rye was one of the chairs. You see what I'm saying? Like Oprah Winfrey, like there were actual black women 
that speak on behalf of black women's issues and there were Muslim women and there were Latino women and there were white women who worked together to put this together. And there were, there were messages that all had the same core idea but that were distributed differently because of those different intersectional areas of womanhood they were distribute they were distributed differently and the people that didn't even take the time to to do the research about it and what it was what was happening were the ones that were talking about oh well you know white feminism and yes guys like we get it like this is what i'm saying like the logic part is really important because on the emotional tip sure we are all mad at white feminism for not including us when it came time to speak up for black women and our perils um in life however this women's march was very different this women's march was supposed to be the start of of being intersectional it was supposed it it and it did it actually did so i think it's not always going to be about it's not always going to be about, like, the emotion. It can't always be about the emotion. Like you said, there's a time and, a, and there's a place. But I don't want to use the women's, mark, the women's march as, as the example of, of why it wouldn't work because the, it was the example of why it does work. I'm not saying why it would, and that's why I said, God, keep me true. I know. Because, I just, y'all were going back and forth, and I had to bring it because, back. I couldn't. Because I, I didn't go that deep into it. That's what because I'm saying. I know you honestly, didn't. Like, I it didn't matter to you. I know. The Women's March. <laughs> did, do you feel guilty now? <laughs> I actually don't. I actually, I actually don't. But my point is, like, I think, and I think that was very important. In fact, the Woke 100, Essence's Woke 100 issue that just came out. Didn't really like, know. Simeon. I walked around with that for like a good two and a half weeks. I didn't and I swear it. I pulled it out for at least two shows to look through it. I didn't see if it. anyone has the opportunity and the chance to look through the Woke 100 issue that was it Essence? Let me keep. Uh, yeah. It no, was it, was, it wasn't Ebony. Ebony. It was it wasn't. Was it? It's either one of them. It's one of the two. <laughs> see, the but we can't do that. I'm not going to do that Can to we? myself. <laughs> I'm going to Google this right now because baby. I think it's Ebony. Well, it was Essence. I'm correct. Oh, right, right. It is Essence. The Woke 100, <laughs> the Woke 100 issue. Woke 100 women, and literally their entire first page of of honorees are all of the chairs for the Women's March. And that means a lot. Now, the other thing that was amazing about it was that it didn't only feature black women. It featured other women of color as well. It was specific to women of color, but it was but it featured women of color nonetheless. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't just black women. So like I think it is important like <laughs> you bring up this idea all the time about like People, you know, people out here should be caring about the children in Syria. And this was before, like, all of, like, you said this a while back okay, about cool. empathy. When we, were, when we were speaking about empathy, and mm -hmm. it's like, you're 100% right, but I feel like that goes for conversations that we have about our industry as well. We should empathize regardless of, we should empathize regardless of pain. It doesn't mean we have to forget. It also doesn't necessarily mean we have to forgive, 
But to your point, there's a logical reason why we're not that different and why we could and should work together. I mean, I mean, the, the goal, the goal is to work together. And I, and I think that's, that's part of what, to me, what diversity and inclusion in this initial period is about because diversity and inclusion, the opposite of diversity and inclusion is fuck y'all, we out, right? To call for diversity and inclusion means that you want to work together. You want this space to be reflective of the world that you want to live in. You want this place, <clears throat> this space to be inclusive for everybody. That's saying that you want to work together. And so, to me, like that—that that is us having empathy. When you sit down and you explain something to somebody, that's about empathy. Because the opposite is the alternative is fuck y'all we out and for a lot of people and to me and, and this is my personal opinion i think that's 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 why the numbers are in advertising alone because if you start looking at the entirety of when these initiatives started back in the 70s and the 80s we should have a decent amount of people of color in this industry if all those people stayed in this industry and they brought in one or two other people, we would have a decent amount of numbers. The reality is, the reality of the situation is, a lot of people were like, fuck y'all, we out. Mm -hmm. Because we don't want to deal with it. So the fact that we're having this conversation, we are saying that we are empathetic and that we, that we want to use logic to fix the problem. But logic... A lot of people buy things. A lot of people do things because of the emotional part. You ever bought something that literally doesn't make any sense, but you bought it because it made you feel good? Because we black? No, because we black. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but everybody does it. This is ball out of control. <laughs> <laughs> but think about it. I mean, a lot of people buy unnecessary things because it makes you feel good. Like For instance, day? like Swiffer. This That's not necessary. It's not necessary. It but actually it makes is very you necessary. Very <laughs> necessary. What do you mean? But it makes you feel like I'm doing something. Like I'm, I'm making effort. I'm cleaning my house. You are though. But you are though. But what isn't is it? Point, <laughs> I mean, it's unnecessary if I'm you got. This, <laughs> it's unnecessary what if you I'm got saying. the if you got the vacuum and you got the the sweeper. Okay, Sister so was a bad example. Yeah. It was my point example. is. That people make decisions from emotional standpoint than rational, and even though we have the logic, although we we have the qualitative, we have all we may have all the metrics, we have to understand that people feel more, they do more, um, like unless they do more when they feel more. I, I mean, that's, but that's that's, that's the point of the show. I'm right? gonna say I think that's fine. I don't I don't think that that negates rational though. I think that we just need two sides of the conversation. Right. We just and, need to have the conversation. In both paths, and if one path isn't working, it's probably because if the emotional path's not working, it's probably because we're talking to somebody that is more rational. And when we start to have more of those conversations on these panels, we'll probably get better questions. We'll probably get closer to the core. When we start having these conversations when it comes to making hiring decisions, we'll probably be able to break more ground. When we start having these conversations about 
diversity, inclusion, and intersectionality when it comes to how we can work together as as, as co-workers, employees, teammates, etc., we'll probably be able to get to more answers than anger. Right. But and I don't think that. I don't think, I think there's more weight put on the logic than the emotional. That's I, my thing. That's I, what I see. That's what, that's I, what I, I feel. I just <laughs> want to bring this back 360 to why we started this show. And in the first episode, we said, this, this podcast is about solution, it's about solution venting. And those are two very important keywords that we use to talk about this podcast. When you say venting, you got emotions. You, you, you got some shit you want to get off of your chest, but also the solution is the key part as well. And so they're not mutually exclusive. You can do both. You can be emotional and you can be logical at the same time. It happens all the time on Love & Hip Hop. We see it. People arguing and you use you you use or or housewives for those of you that may not know <laughs> whatever whatever your poison is right people use it all the time it's 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 the way that you you get to the core now whether or not someone wants to receive your solutions and your venting with empathy or whether they want to have selective hearing and they only want to hear your venting or they only want to hear your solution that's their problem but at the end of the day you can do both and that's what we've been doing since we started this this podcast and you to me you can't be effective by shutting off one or the other they have to work hand in hand because if you're just approaching this from a logical standpoint then people aren't going to have empathy for you like that's empathy is when you understand that there's a human element involved I think that's amazing I think this conversation was actually really good I'm I'm honestly excited to see where this kind of takes us because I don't think I considered intersectionality as much before until the topic was brought to our attention Mm -hmm. so um I think with that we'll go ahead and close out Peace. Y'all have, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh Sim hung up. Um, do you guys have any last words before I give a give um, a nod to our social handles? No, I'm good. Bring, nah, actually, bring, bring your whole self to work. I think if you bring your entire self into the office, then that's that's you bringing awareness to intersectionality not shutting off any part if you're black and you're a woman and you're x y and z on top of that then you need to bring all those things to work because those are the things that make you valuable when you talk about your experiences and you bring it to them from a personal level and you you're able to relate it back to the business case that's you bringing awareness to intersectionality and that's what needs to be done on a regular basis i think mine is recognize that there's there's two parts to this there's the emotional and the logical and looking at both sides i i honestly do think when i go to work there's always this focus on the logical the rational but less weight on the emotional the human aspect so understand both sides of the coin 
And mine is continue to have the conversation. Don't, as always, I don't feel um, it's productive for us to shy away from it. Um, if you truly feel like it's not your place or your comfort to tell people more and, and continue to explain and work to get your point across, that's cool. But for those of us who don't mind having the conversation and giving people knowledge that they may not have had before about your culture, people like your culture, people that are not like your culture, then continue to stand up and talk about it. Um, so with that, I'm going to close out. As always, you guys can hit us up on the gram at Ask Mixed Company. You can also find us um, via Facebook. What was it? I got it wrong last time. Mm, Is it know. just Mixed Company on Facebook? It's Mixed Company Podcast. What is it? Miss Company, Company Podcast. So Facebook.com backslash Mixed Company Podcast. And then shoot up our email inboxes. Ooh, pause. Ask Mixed Company. <laughs> at gmail.com. Um, looking forward to continuing hearing from you guys. And talk to you later. Bye.